Welcome, I am Aaron Giesbrecht, head QB trainer and owner of Big Air Academy, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. And you are tuned in to my podcast called Talking QBs with Coach Gies, a podcast dedicated to the Canadian quarterback and offensive football. And today on our 13th episode from Windsor, Ontario, we have Coach Joe Demore. How are you doing, Coach? I'm doing good, Coach. Thanks for having me. Excellent. Thanks for being on. Appreciate it. Coach, I want to lead in here and talk a little bit about the OPFL. So this is a summer league, football league for for young guys. Um, you know, you're the OC of the Essex Ravens. Can you talk a little bit about the league and, and kind of what it's all about and maybe what you like about coaching in that league? Uh, yeah, so the OPFL is basically an Ontario football league. Uh, it's had a couple different names over the last couple of years, but the OPFL um, last couple of years now and it's basically i think now there's there's over 27 teams across ontario so it's a unique situation it's it's only province that plays really summer football levels all the way down from bantam up to varsity uh where i coach varsity is uh you know ages 17 to 19 um and basically you know it's a super competitive league um Really, what it comes down to, it's it's almost like an all-star team for each city. Basically, you know, Windsor, we we pull all our kids from all the high school teams of, in the city, and and kids kids come to play in the summer. The season usually goes from May to end of July, early August. We play an A-game schedule. Uh, there's two conferences in the in the province, and there's a vote, and there's two divisions for between each conference. So, like I said, there's about 27 teams across you know the province. Most southern team, and then we go as high as Ottawa up near yeah. Ottawa and Kingston area and things like that. So, yeah, we play an eight-game schedule, and then we usually play a, a four-team, uh, you know, conference championship, and then uh, the winners of each conference meet in a, in a provincial championship. So the league's been around a long, long time. Um, I've been with the league. You know, I, I joined in 2009, and then I, I coached in 2010 as an OC with them, and we won an OVFL championship back in 2010, where I left to go to the U, and then I joined them back. 2019 uh one thing i really like about the league is super competitive it's very similar to an all-star team uh, the coaches that you compete against are high level there's a lot of youth sports coaches a lot of the young coaches in youth sports former players or guys that are just kind of getting into coaching a lot of them are, are overseas dcs and things like that across you know the province so you're competing against you know high level coaches and the players that all those kids they have aspirations to play either youth sports or in the u.s and things like that. So, you know, these kids are kind of eager to learn and, and things like that. So, you know, that's one of the good things about it. Uh, you know, some of the challenges are we don't practice nearly as much as, you know, high school and university teams do. We only go twice a week, a Tuesday, Thursday practice, and then we usually play on the weekend. You really got to kind of hone in on what you're doing. Uh, you got to be really, you know, simple and stuff like that. So it's, it's challenging as a coach to kind of go from a you know, a university program where you got kids 24 hours a day and then you go to a team where you got kids, you know, for four hours a week, you yeah. know, so it's interesting, but I really enjoy it. Yeah, that's quite the contrast and the difference. But uh, I really like what you talked about just in terms of like the level of competition with the coaches and the players. That sounds like uh, a very competitive and, and fun league to be part of. So that's that's pretty cool. And you, you won the championship in 2019. Yeah, so, you know, we went into the city, we had a very talented team. Uh, usually, I would say probably almost half of our players, you know, end up, you know, either attempting to play youth sports or they play CGFL. Most of our kids go on and play 
uh, football. So they're very high level. Uh, yeah, we went in the season. It's my first time being an OC in a while, being a head coach and that uh, hadn't really got a chance to do that. But uh, we went into that and, you know, early on, there were some struggles. I think we lost our first game of the year against London. Uh, we ended up losing our second, uh, third game of the year against Burlington. But then we pretty much got on a run and uh, we ended up winning, I think, uh, nine, ten straight. And uh, we ended up beating London in the playoffs and then uh, winning uh, against Ottawa in the in the championship. Okay, Coach, well, switching gears a little bit here and getting into your background, your playing career, I'm interested in uh, where are you from and, and when did you start playing football? And, and kind of tell me the story from, from that point. Well, yeah, it, it's been a while now, so I'm uh, turning <laughs> 45, so it, it, okay. we're uh, going back uh, 20-some years now. But uh, I originally, I, I'm from Amherstburg, Ontario, which is just, you know, just outside of Windsor, about 20 minutes outside of Windsor, small town. Um, I attended uh, Villanova High School, St. Thomas Villanova High School. Uh, you know, coming out of grade school, you know, back then, you know, when I was that age, they didn't really have a lot of minor football and all that kind of stuff. So it really wasn't, you know, something that I really thought about. Uh, I was a track guy. I could run. I was a, you know, a sprinter and things like that. So coming out of high school, going into high school, I was really known to be a, a runner. And then obviously, you know, the high school coaches and stuff wanted me to try out for football and you know, I ended up going in in grade nine and, you know, asking mom, hey, can I play football? Obviously, mom didn't want me to, but, you know, it was just for one year, mom. And then I uh, wanted to try out. And, uh, you know, I ended up, I remember sitting in the meeting the first day. I had no idea what position I would play. And one of my buddies, they said, oh, who plays quarterback? And he's just like, hey, you know, he was the starting quarterback. And, he, you know, tell me you want to play quarterback. And my coach was, I was a lefty. So my coach was like, oh, my God, a left-handed quarterback, like, we could totally fool people with a left-handed quarterback. So I ended up playing in grade nine. I didn't play much. Backed up, didn't really do much in grade nine. Grade 10, um, I played a little bit of quarterback and stuff like that. Um, and then grade 11, when I got to senior, um, we had some injuries and I was playing receiver and I was a really small kid, and, you know, and then they asked me to play tailback and I was like, ooh, I don't know. Like now we're getting with the big boys. Yeah. That was only about 140 pounds. But I didn't play tailback, and I had a pretty good, you know, career, uh, you know, three years playing tailback. Um, you know, then coming out of high school, I really started, like, football was kind of something that I really enjoyed. I still played other sports, basketball, baseball, track, and all that, but football was really something that I kind of, you know, gravitated to. So coming out of high school, I started, you know, doing the recruiting visits, you know, Windsor, Waterloo, you know, I went to Laurier, and then I ended up taking a scholarship to Simon Fraser University. So, you know, I ended up going out there. I, I had some interest in the U.S., uh, but again, didn't really pan out. I didn't have a lot of size. I was about 153 pounds, you know, stuff like that. But uh, so I ended up going to Simon Fraser for a year, spent one year there. Um, and, and I really enjoyed my time. I, I met some good people, had some good coaches. I kind of bounced from the offensive to defense side of the ball. I started off there as a receiver. They had some injuries, flipped me over to DB. Then I went back to receiver. But I ended up, you know, it was just a little far for me, 19-year-old guy across the country. You know, I never really had been away from home that much. So I kind of made the decision uh, to, to head home and, and kind of finish my career in Windsor. And originally, I was going to play AKO. So it was like, you know, I, I don't know if university, you know, football is something I really wanted to play. And I was going to go play in the CGFL with the Fratman. And then Coach Morency at the time was the Fratman coach. Just kind of when I was getting back, he got the head coaching job at Windsor. So, you know, we had a discussion. He says, hey, like, you know, why don't you just come play with me at the U? So I ended up going there at the U and I, and I finished my five years there. Um, I started as a freshman uh, as DB and I played basically my first three years as a DB. 
Um, my third year, I played a little bit of offense. I started on defense, but played a little bit in some packages and stuff like that. And then, you know, kind of flipped over my final, you know, season as a wide receiver. We had some young good DBs coming in. We were a little light, you know, on the offense side of the ball. So I kind of flipped over and, and ended up doing that. So, you know, we had a tough career there. I did win a lot of football games and stuff like that. But, you know, some of the best times of my life, you know, met a lot of great people and, and still some of my best friends come from, you know, the program and things like that. And, uh, yeah, I kind of finished that. And, you know, I had some aspiration. Obviously, everyone wants to play in the CFL and stuff like that. But, again, size was a limitation for me. Uh, I could run, but I couldn't run over and beyond well enough to, like, compensate for, you know, be 5'10", 185 pounds, right? So, you know, that really didn't pan out. And then, you know, I, I had an opportunity to go overseas. And, and I kind of did that, uh, knowing really that it wasn't, it was really just to kind of enjoy myself and prolong my career. Sure. And and speaking of that, so you played in the German Football League? Yeah. So I, I went over to uh, Munich, Germany, and uh, I actually ended up spending, you know, off and on two years there. So I went there and it was really, it's a lot bigger now. Uh, I had some guys that, you know, when I was at the U, go and play in the in, in the Europe and stuff like that. But at the time, it was really kind of just developing and and I got some other calls from some other countries and stuff like that. But I was told that Germany was kind of like the mecca of football there early. Like it was kind of the place that you wanted to go. There was a lot of unknown there, like making sure some guys didn't get paid when they were supposed to get paid and things like that. And, you know, at the time, the Internet was just kind of coming around and waiting for emails and, and things like that. So, you know, I kind of took a shot, but I, I got some good feedback. Uh, the people were pretty honest with me coming there and. You know, I ended up flying over there and, uh, you know, went there. The plan was to go there for six, seven months and, you know, got on a plane and, you know, I took, I still remember taking like three flights, a train, a bus, <laughs> you know, like just to get to where it was. And, uh, you know, I finally ended up there and I really enjoyed myself. I, I, I met some American guys that came and played with me and uh, built some great relationships. They treated me really well. Uh, I ended up playing a season there with them and then I ended up coming home you know, right around September, uh, you know, got a job and stuff like that. And then, you know, actually, you know, kind of, I got an offer to go play some arena football to try it out to see what it was like. So I, I went down to Carolina. My family wasn't too happy about it at that time, I think, because I was about 25 at the time and quit a full-time good job in the automotive business. And I went down there and I spent a couple months there and then got released and then it was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And Germany coach still had a relationship with, and he just said, well, why don't you come back and play some more? We got some guys here, but you know, maybe you can just kind of play special teams and have like a role here. And I'm like, that sounds fun. So I kind of went back there and really honestly played a little bit of offense, but I really just played a ton of specials and, and just really kind of went there to enjoy myself and stuff like that. And yeah, I spent my last year there and then it was kind of like, okay, it's time to grow up. And I, I, I really start to see the injuries, you know, the body start to, you know, tell me, you know, the hamstrings and little injuries like that, that I never really had before. We're kind of saying like, hey, it's probably time to hang them up. <laughs> so, you know, I, I ended up returning home after that season and then, uh, yeah, uh, you know, kind of moved on from there. So that was around 2000, would have been 2003 when I finally kind of gave up playing. Oh, that's a very interesting story and background. I, I like the fact that you bounced around from offense to defense. I would think today as a coach that that uh, experience as a player kind of playing both sides of the ball, 
you know, in terms of, you know, being an OC now in the passing game, you've seen the passing game as a receiver, as a defensive back. So I think that that's really cool and probably, and probably really helps you with your coaching. Um, you and me are similar. We started our coaching careers in, uh, in 2004. Um, can you talk about that? Tell, tell me about, uh, you know, getting into coaching and did you envision yourself becoming a coach, you know, while you were playing? Yeah, I was, you know, I think, you know, even at the university of Windsor, when I was playing, I was captain for three years and I really always had, you know, an aspiration to kind of help the young guys. I, you know, everyone had like a role and uh, as a captain, I was kind of like that guy that people could approach guys felt comfortable coming to see and talk to and ask questions. You know, obviously you have those hierarchies in football locker rooms, uh, you know, being a fifth year guy, the freshmen still, you know, felt comfortable having conversations with me. So I think, in my back of my mind, I knew like that was something I would want to give back at some point. And then when I got to Germany, really when the when the international guys show up, the Canadians, the U.S. kids, you know, a lot of them, you know, their level of football knowledge and things like that is not everyone has it. And and you really kind of take on a player coach role there. I always had a lot of input and helped design the offenses and the defenses. At the time, it was defense, you know, because that was more of my, you know, cup of tea and stuff like that. And yeah, and, and I could really see when I left coaching and even the guys that I worked with there always said like, hey, you're, you know, you're going to coach at some point, you know, you're going to be a good coach. And, you know, it was kind of something that I knew that when I came back, I wanted to give back to my community. So, you know, when I did return, it, it, it was, you know, I kind of stepped in, you know, would hung around the university after I came back and just kind of, you know, I guess GA, so to speak, I'd, I'd show up to practices and elbow when I could, never really had a role. And then again, obviously in 2004, I, I jumped into to coaching there. Sure. So from that point, uh, I would take my listeners through your background from 2004 up until today. Yeah. So, you know, obviously I, I've had a lot of different stops. I think maybe unique uh, pathway to coaching uh, compared to some people. And I like to always think, you know, when we talk about a little later uh, about like having opportunities, you know, I think there's a lot of good coaches out there that just, never get to whether it's youth sports or or obviously the cfl or whatever because they just don't get the opportunity i don't it's not about knowledge and about ability it's really just about chance and i was always given that chance i, I got lucky to get that chance and stuff like that but in 2004 i jumped into coaching with the akl fratman so the cgfl um coach lachance who was still there now uh coaching that team uh, i think 17 18 years now uh but uh he was there and the head coach, he was a young guy at the time. And we had some, you know, former players that I worked with. Uh, we went in there and coached and, you know, I started off coaching with the DBs and then I, I worked some of the special teams and things like that. So that was really the first time I kind of got to coordinate a unit and things like that. And yeah, like I really enjoyed it. Um, I only spent about a year there and really it was just because of proximity and things like that. You know, ATO practiced pretty much on the, East end of Windsor and I lived in Amherstburg. It was pretty much a 45 minute drive every day. Uh, we practiced late at night. Uh, at the time I was in the automotive business. So I started at 6 a.m. You know, sometimes I wasn't getting home till 10, 11 o'clock at night from practice. So, and we traveled like to Montreal and different places like that at the time with St. Leonard. Um, so for me, it was really more of like, yeah, this is just taxing. Only spent one year there with, with the Fratman and then I moved in to start coaching high school football. You know, a Giga Sandwich Secondary School. Um, 
got a lot of beat, uh, flack for that because I went to St. Thomas of Villanova and they're in the same town. Okay. Uh, one's the Catholic, one's the public. Mm-hmm. So I went to the Catholic school, but I started coaching my high school career in the public uh, at Sandwich. I had a, a, a friend that uh, worked in the automotive business with me and his son played. So obviously he knew I was a football guy, tried to you know get me to come play. So I began my career as a defense coordinator at Sandwich High School. I spent a couple years there. We had a really good team. Uh, one year we went undefeated and we went to OFSA, uh, the uh, provincial championship. Uh, we ended up losing in the provincial championship game, but we had a pretty talented group. I think at one point, I think seven of my players ended up playing new sports at some point uh, on my team. So we had a really talented roster. Um, and then in 2009, um, our head coach stepped down. Uh, he moved schools and he stepped away. Uh, so I decided to take over the team. So that was really my first opportunity to be a head coach. And that's really where I transitioned to being an offensive guy. So I took over the head coaching job. One of my uh, assistants and stuff like that became the defense coordinator who had worked with me for the last couple of years, you know, under me. And then we really didn't have an offensive guy. Our offensive coordinator, Dan, uh, got was a teacher and moved to another school. Kind of just like, well, I'm the head coach. We don't have an offensive guy. I understand, you know, played, you know, at, at the university level. So I took over an offensive guy. And that's kind of where it started. And. You know, I spent the year in 2009 as the head coach and the offense coordinator. Um, we did not have a good football team. Everyone graduated. Um, I think we went maybe one and seven, zero oh and eight. Uh, it was it was a rough year as a head coach, uh, stuff like that. But you learn a lot. You know, you learn about things, and and it gave me an opportunity to really like kind of try things and test the waters a little bit. Um, I also during that year coached with the Ravens in 2009. I was uh, a DB coach at the time, and. Uh, you know, so I was still kind of working the defensive side, even though I was an offense coordinator. Um, we had a pretty talented team that year. We went to the championship. Uh, we ended up losing, but you know, Luke Wilson was on our roster. Um, Kyle Quinlan uh, was on our roster. Well, we were pretty talented. Uh, we ended up losing to a Mississauga team that was pretty loaded as well. Uh, a lot of those guys end up playing uh, high level football as well. So we ended up losing the championship game by two. In 2010, I took over. Um, I went to Villanova, so I went back to my alma mater. Their head coach for a long time left. I was working in the school system now, and then um, I was working at Villanova, so I decided to to uh, coach there. Uh, I just coached them one year as the head coach and offense coordinator. Um, we had some talented kids. We ended up making to the semifinals. We lost to a really talented Herman football team that you know had been scored on all year. Gave up. Uh, we tried to go. We kicked an extra point to tie it with 30 seconds left, and then they went down the field and kicked a rouge to beat us no. uh, in the semis there. So, um, but it was good. It was it was a fun year. Uh, we didn't have a lot of players and stuff, but uh, you know, again, learned a lot about how to manage practice and stuff like that. In 2010, I was the OC for the Ravens, um, and uh, we ended up winning a championship there. I had Austin Kennedy as my quarterback there. Um, we ended up winning a, a triple overtime game against uh, Cumberland in Ottawa. Uh, wild game, one of the probably wildest games in OVFL history. Uh, and uh, we won a triple overtime. And that was a year I was kind of going into coaching with the university. I decided to join the staff there as a receiver coach. Uh, coach Marenzi was there and I decided to finally join staff there. So we actually played the championship game in Ottawa on the Saturday uh, finished seven o'clock game, finished about 10 o'clock, got on the bus, got home at 7 a.m. And I went right to training camp to Windsor that morning. Wow, that's a um, ended up, you know, putting in the, the 36 hour day. Uh, and um, yeah, the, you know, that was a tough year. I was a wide receiver coach there for a year. I think we went two and six. Uh, 
after the season ended, um, I was still on contract. I was kind of a part-time, full-time coach there. So I worked at the school board and then really put in hours after work. When they decided to let go of Coach Morancy, it was really like a lot of unknown there. Uh, you know, they were going to go and do a national search and stuff like that for a head coach. I was still working technically as a recruiting coordinator and receiver coach. I was doing recruiting visits. I was going to dinners every day without a head coach. And, you know, I constantly get recruits asking me, you know, who's going to be the head coach? The answer was like, I don't know. But really what happened for me was really I just sold, you know, Windsor, being a Windsor guy and playing there. I just really kind of shared my passion for the program and how much I loved it. And, you know, I think how much people would really enjoy being there and stuff like that. So, you know, for me, they kind of went through a national search. I really had you know, no desire or interest uh, to be the head coach, to be honest. Like, I just didn't think my background, you know, advocated for me to be a head coach, you know, two years of high school coaching experience and stuff like that. But, you know, they kind of went through a a search and it just took longer than I think they anticipated. And they came to around March and, you know, a couple of the people that they reached out to just found other jobs or had no desire. So they were really kind of in a pickle and, I remember getting a call at the uh, school board from Gord Grace at the time. And he kind of gives me a shout saying like, Hey, can you come see me in the office? So I stopped by there and he was just like, Hey, we're wondering if you would have interest in being the interim head coach for one year. And I was kind of taken back by it. Cool that they thought of me. And I was just first thing was like, well, I have to ask my wife (laughs) if I can do that because I had a full-time job and you know, I'd have to ask my job if I could take a leave and all that kind of stuff. So you know, it ended up working out. The board was very supportive and let me take a nine month lead. Okay. Uh, obviously there was a lot of, you know, doubters out there and things like that. And people, you know, felt, I still remember some of the articles. There's a local writer that wasn't very supportive of the university football program and kind of wrote a bashing article about myself saying like, you know, he has no experience. I remember I got hired on it was April 1st and he kind of thought it was an April fool's joke. He kind of wrote an article and, uh, yeah, so I still kept that article, uh, you know, to this day, I still have it. But yeah, he kind of made some, you know, references about me being a Renzi guy. And, you know, they kind of snuck me in and all that kind of stuff. But whatever. Um, I knew that, you know, my approach was it was like I had nine months, you know, and, and this was kind of what we talked about, about having opportunity. I knew that my resume wasn't going to get me a job, but I knew that if I went in there and did the job, they can't say I'm not capable. So I kind of took on that challenge of like, hey, I got nine months to prove that I'm willing, um, I'm worth, you know, taking a chance on and stuff like that. So I kind of been able to get staff together. I reached out to some, you know, former coaches of mine, you know, former players, people that I had, you know, good relationship with. And I wanted to surround myself with people that I trusted and, and knew that this could be a nine month gig. That's it. We could be going in there doing nine months and then we're all out. Um, and at the time. Windsor only had one full-time position. I was the only full-time coach there. Uh, everyone else was just, you know, uh, volunteers and, you know, came in after their daily work. So that was a challenge within itself. So I took the gig, kind of put a staff together quickly. I think what really helped was being with the Ravens and a lot of the kids were coming out of the Ravens. Austin was coming out. Um, the quarterback prior to Austin was Sam Malian, who I coached at Sandwich High School for three years. And relationships built already with a lot of the players there. And really what helped us was the buy-in. There was a complete buy-in um, to the kids. They, No matter what I did, they bought in. You know, And I came in there and I was a bit of a hard ass and I wanted to change some culture things and I wanted to make sure guys knew that you know, we weren't just, I wasn't there just for a stopgap. We were going to go there and make changes. And 
it started off like we went in and we really didn't know what kind of team we were going to have. And, and we kind of took that over and, you know, things worked out obviously in my first year, you know, I ended up spending eight years there. And then, uh, you know, after that, uh, move forward to, uh, you know, obviously coaching with the Ravens again. Well, it's excellent. Such a lengthy story, you know, a lot of stops along the way. And I think that that, you know, contributes to being a better football coach. You know, I, I have somewhat of a similar path in terms of I've coached at a lot of different levels, a lot of different teams and uh, you know, being able to have that experience, like you said, you were able to try some things at different stops. And, and, you know, I think that that's super valuable to uh, just learning, you know, learning the game and learning how to be a good coach. So that that really kind of resonates with me. Um, Last thing I want to ask you here for the first quarter is now that you've been an OC for, you know, quite a while, what is the one thing or, or what do you love most about being an offense coordinator? The thing I love most about it is just the scheme aspect of it. Um, there's not, I don't think there's any better feeling of game planning for someone and whether it's designing a play that you feel like if you get the matchup or the defensive scheme you want, that yeah. you're going to score a touchdown. Um, and then when you run it in a game, it happens and you score the touchdown. I just think, you know, the, the chess mask between you and, and the defensive coordinator you're kind of in your own little world. You know, when I'm an OC, I'm a booth guy. I love papers in front of me. I like to write notes. You know, I script. I'm a scripter. I just love that aspect of it. I love that, the scheming and the the trying to find ways to, to put the ball in the end zone. And, uh, you know, as a head coach, you have so many other responsibilities. As an OC, you're just kind of tunnel vision. You don't care what's going on in the defense side of the ball. You're just, you know, in between series, you're, you're focusing on what you're going to call on the next drive. And then, you know, when you're in you're, when you're in the zone, things go well. It, it's a great feeling when things are, are kind of flowing. Absolutely. I can relate to that feeling, too. Like when you've called one of those plays and you, you can see the defense is lining how you, you know, how you thought was going to happen. And it's almost like you're like looking to the other coach like we're going to score right now. I, I love that that feeling, that moment just before the Absolutely. play happened. That's an awesome feeling. Back at it with Coach Joe Demore and Coach Gies in the second quarter. So, Coach, uh, you know, I want to talk to you a little bit about your offensive philosophies and mindset. So, uh, I've been working on, on a number of things lately, trying to uh, simplify my offense, really trying to uh, simplify the amount of assignments for our offensive <laughs> linemen. Um, same with concepts, be able to play fast. I've been a, I've been a, a guy that really, uh, for the last number of years, has been playing with tempo. Uh, when I was last with the Winnipeg Rifles in uh, 2019, we were no huddle the whole year. Um, so I'm kind of of that mindset. Uh, I'm going back to coaching high school. So I, I think I'm going to kind of mix it up a little bit between being a natural huddle team and then picking up the tempo at times. But uh, yeah, so I'm just kind of, I'm, I'm, you know, working with some of my coaches to kind of develop, uh, you know, a, a better teaching process for our players and just really trying to streamline things and simplify. So um, speaking of that, what, you know, in terms of your offense and what, what you're all about, uh, can you speak on some of your f- basic philosophies? You know, really for me, you know, I've really spent a lot of time kind of developing my philosophy and, and really my course of my 16 years of coaching has really kind of got to me to this point. And, and really, I feel like now I'm at a point where, you know, I'll change, but my, the way my mindset is, my philosophy will, will always kind of be this now. And my philosophy, I kind of have three things. Yeah, uh, simple is better. Um, sometimes people try to be too complicated. Yeah. I think oftentimes 
people have this notion that the bigger the playbook, the more, you know, you know, as a coach and they want to present that to people uh, where it's like, it doesn't really matter, you know? And my second one is execution beats scheme. I believe, like you said, playing fast. I, I think like you can have a hundred plays. You're only going to run probably 20 of them during a right. game. Um, but you waste all this time at, you know, practice and stuff trying to practice all those plays when you could just be practicing the 19 plays you run all the time and running them very, you know, efficiently. And then obviously my last one is practice makes perfect. And, and it's really that philosophy that, you know, and I, I kind of adopted that, you know, going with the Ravens and only having two days a week, I really had to kind of hone in on, you know, how many reps are we going to get? And and we really broke it down to about, we're getting about, you know, we've, we practice to about 55 plays of practice, whether it's first down play, second down, you know, goal line, all that kind of stuff. So you're getting about 110 plays a week, you know, prior to a game. If you had 40 plays, you know, that means you're running, you know, one or, you know, two plays, you know, one play, two times all practice all week. So we kind of, I got away from that running and I got into about, you know, 19 to 24 plays, you know, and I'm running them five, six times, you know, through the week. And, barely adding new stuff and, and just really kind of executing and, and running really fast. And, and as the year went on, we just got better and better and, and kids got, you know, more efficient and stuff like that. You know, that's kind of like my philosophy when it comes to coaching. Then I have like the mindset of like kind of how I approach a game as an OC. And I'm a one read system guy. Um, and again, I, I, I feel like you can adapt that to all levels. It's hard the development of quarterbacks in Canada, obviously getting better. There's a lot more knowledgeable people out there. Um, I don't pretend like, I think I really can understand quarterbacks and schemes and where they got to go with the ball and all that kind of stuff. When it comes to the technical aspect of quarterbacks, I don't pretend like I'm some, you know, super knowledgeable guy. I, I like to surround myself with people that know the position. I didn't play it. So it's a little more challenging when you didn't play it. But uh, I just think that, Asking, especially young kids, you know, not even you sports kids, but just young kids to kind of go through progressions. It's really challenging. You, you have the limitations of how much you can work with these guys. So I really got into like a one read system, like, and who we're reading, this is the guy, what's he doing? And whatever he does, you're going to do the opposite. And, and we really try to do that. And, and uh, my philosophy kind of get is, you know, who are we reading? How can I isolate them? And when I isolate him, what am I going to do to attack him? And that's kind of how I approach every kind of play design that I have. Um, the second one was like, I want to push the ball downfield. This is a philosophy that I've really changed over the course of you know my career. When I first got it, you want to be this efficient yep. coach. You want to be an 80% completion percentage, 70, 80%. You get first downs. You want to move the chains. Then you realize you're in Canada. Yep. And you get one penalty. You get one drop. You get one missed assignment and now you're a second and 20 or a second and 15 and yes. you need to get 15 yards else you're punting. So I've changed that complete philosophy. And I went into last season, I didn't care if we were a 50% completion percentage. I was just going to push the ball downfield. I would say 85% of my passing plays push 15 beyond. I was like, we're going to just push the ball downfield. We complete four of them, more likely they're going to be big chunk plays and we're going to score touchdowns in. By the end of the year, we averaged almost 47 points a game. Um, we took shots probably eight to 10 times a game. And if I completed two of them, they were probably for touchdowns and things like that. And, and I really kind of changed that philosophy. And you just have to. It's so hard in Canada to go 12 to 13 play drives. There's so many mistakes that can happen. And then when you get down to a lower level, high school, you know, stuff like that, it gets even harder because yes. the mistakes happen more. And 
you know, the drop balls and things like that. So I changed that philosophy. And I think we averaged in uh, our Ravens in 2019, almost 16 yards of completion, wow. you know, which is like a high level. Yeah. But, you know, I think our passing completion percent was only like 53% or 54%. Yeah. But we also didn't turn the ball over. And, and that That's was, good. you know, obviously a key and, and something that, you know, we talk about a little later that I look for. But, you know, one of my major, you know, kind of mindsets was, I don't really attack defenses like cover threes, cover twos. I kind of look at attacking defensive rules. So, so, and as a defensive coach early in my career, I kind of understood, you know, what rules and what guys want to do, you know. So I kind of start focusing on the guys that their rules don't really change based on the coverages. So the Sam, the Will, the free safety, those guys, like their schemes, no matter what, you run cover three, cover two, most of the time they're hoped to curl. You know, the free safety is high, high vertical, you know, uh, middle of the field, yeah. things like that. And so I started kind of creating that triangle where it's like, you know, and I still have plays that attack the halves and the sure. corners. But really, that triangle is like, it doesn't change much because, you know, you start looking at cover threes and defensive coaches have become really talented. And they start understanding like, yeah, I'm going to run cut. I'm going to run cloud, uh, you know, hold. I'm going to run. Mm-hmm. I'm going to show you this. I'm going to run quarters. You know, all this kind of stuff. And and it's hard for coach quarterbacks to dissect it. Well, I really kind of just start focused on single players that I can, you know, know what they're going to do, no matter what coverage they're kind of using. And and that's kind of my philosophy and mindset that I've kind of used, you know, uh, over the last couple of years. Wow, Coach, that's excellent information. So much to, you know, unpack there. Um, you know, going back to, you know, your original comment, people having large playbooks and, and trying to impress and, you know, uh, early on in my career, I would definitely say that I fall into that trap. Um, I kind of had the mindset originally that, uh, you know, I didn't want to be in a scenario where I didn't have a play that I needed, you know, and uh, that just ends up growing and growing and growing. And what you find is that you just end up with, you know, a whole bunch of plays and you're maybe average at those plays where, like you said, when you limit things, when you really work on the finer points, teaching, teaching things over and over and over again, and getting your guys lots of reps with fewer plays. I think your execution just really goes through the roof. So uh, I can really connect to that. I've made that adaptation as well. Um, In terms of your quarterbacks coach, you know, um, what, uh, what kind of attributes do you look for in your quarterback? Well, I think, you know, obviously you want leadership. You want someone that can command a huddle that can go in there and, you know, it's hard to find those. You At a young age, you can see some guys that are timid, you know, when they're in the huddle and, and you can see how the players react to them and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, decision making is uh, really important to me. I think, you know, being a one read system guy and how I coach my quarterbacks, it's really about decision making. I, I'm pretty much laying it out there for you. You know, this is the guy, you know, if he goes high, you're throwing the under, you know, stays low, you're throwing, you know, the dig or whatever the rope concept is. But it's those decisions that like, I don't want you to freelance when you play quarterback. I don't want you to drop back there and you're looking all over the place and you think you got this and that it's like, I'm just telling you, you want to be successful. I'm going to put you in a position to be successful. If you just kind of do what I ask you to do, we'll both be successful. So I'm looking for guys. And I guess the, the, probably the non-negotiable, you know, skill set would be, you know, guy that is coachable one that can take coaching. Um, Nothing frustrates me more as a football coach when you walk into after a play or something and you go up to a guy and you ask him a question and he has an immediate butt response. 
you know, like, uh, why didn't you throw to that guy? Well, but, well, I thought, you know, it was never, you know, you want guys that just go, yeah, I, yeah, I read the wrong play. I yeah. didn't see the Sam or I didn't do it. And, and when you get guys like that, it's just so easy to move forward and, and to learn and to develop. But when you get guys that come to immediate defense of themselves and stuff like that, it just becomes challenging. It becomes, you know, your words kind of get lost and it gets frustrating as a coach because no matter what you think he saw, he's just not going to tell you the truth. So, right. you know, just scared and stuff like that. So uh, for me, it's probably being coachable. Obviously you want a nice arm. You want someone that can make the throws, but again, when you get down to the high school level, you don't always get those guys. Yeah. I think you got to be able to adjust systematically a little bit to who you have, but you know, ultimately I think having a coachable guy and, and people that can make good decisions uh, are what I would look for. I think that's so true about, you know, just, uh, you know, dealing with some guys that maybe have a fragile ego a little bit, or they're just not used to taking criticism or making mistakes is that, um, you know, when you talk to them sometimes, you, you know, and as the coach, you're trying to make things better that, uh, you know, for me, I can speak, you know, to the past where maybe I felt like I was sort of walking on eggshells a little bit with that guy, because if I'm too hard on him, then I'm going to lose him completely. So I'm trying to get yeah. him to buy in. But like you said, sometimes there's there's certain things that happen in a game or practice and you want to be truthful to the guy, but, you know, he's not going to take the response well. And it's it's a delicate balance that you got to play sometimes. So I agree with you. Yeah, and, and especially at the, you know, high school, like where coaching with the Ravens, when most of those kids are the all-stars, the best players on their teams, yeah. they're not getting yelled at at high school practice. Right. Yeah. You know I mean? They're the best players. They're the most talented. Um, and then, you know, same with university, you're getting all the all-stars, yeah. the best players in the con uh, country in the province. Then they show up and you're criticizing them. And, and those are the challenges as being a coach like, and to be able to handle it. Certain kids handle it a certain way. And, and once you learn that, I think it's, it's easier, but you know, at the quarterback position, there's only one of those. Like you said, if you lose them, you might lose the whole team yeah. uh, in the process. So it, it's really one of those positions that you kind of have to understand the kid and, and before, you know, you kind of speak to them. Uh, switching gears, going back to, uh, you know, just kind of overall football mindset. You know, there's uh, there's been a lot of talk, you know, over the last number of years. And it kind of makes me sick every time they talk about it. Analytics, this, analytics, that for you know, decisions on, uh, you know, whether they're going to go for two or uh, go for the ball. I'm thinking about the Super Bowl. You know, I think I, I may have this incorrect, but I think uh, the Bucks were up seven, nothing. And they got down to what the one or two yard line. And then the analytics told them on fourth down to go for it. Right. And, and, and I get, you know, that idea behind that, but in that moment, in that game, especially being the Super Bowl, I, to me, I was going crazy. I was like, just take the points. <laughs> Can we just play football and win the game, you know? So, uh, you know, with that, with that being said, what are, what are your thoughts overall on analytics and football today? That's funny. Yeah. Cause you know, during the playoff run, I think there was probably half a dozen games where there was just situations where either they're chasing points early, they're going for two and you're like, why are they going for two right now? Oh, cause the numbers say so, or let it say so and stuff. Like I've always kind of been a believer and I guess I'm old school in that aspect. Um, you know, there's a lot of smart people out there and they have time to figure out math and numbers and stuff like that. But I've always kind of said football to me has always been a feel thing. Uh, going for two has always been like, what's the situation? How do you feel? Yeah. And all that kind of stuff. What's the momentum? Like, you know, are you at the end of the game where you just scored a last second touchdown and they're defeated? Are you going for two to win it? You know, or are you playing against a team that 
you may never, you know, if you go to overtime, you're probably not beating them. I just find that, you know, sometimes the now, because of all the, the smart people out there and people that analyze football, it's become a game where it's like you almost outcoach yourself. Yeah. You spend so much time crapping new sports, you have 20 seconds to make yeah. a decision. I can't sit there and go, okay, what do the numbers tell me? Stuff like that. I'm more of like, I like to call things on a field and stuff like that. I just, because if things go wrong and I get it, like if you go for two and you don't get it, there's 50% chance you're going to get it on the second time. But if you get it on the first time, you're going to win. I'm one of those people who's like, well, you don't go for two unless you need to go yeah. for two. You know what I mean? Because if you don't get it the first time, then you're chasing points. Right. And then, you know, or your situation, instead of kicking a field goal, you go for it. And it's like, okay, later in the game, you might only need a field goal if you would have kicked the field goal. And yeah. Now you need a touchdown. Exactly. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not a big believer in it. Um, I get it. There's some coaches there that, you know, make every decision. But I think it's more of like football. There's a lot of people that won a lot of football games in their career before analytics even existed. Right. And made a lot of really good decisions. I'm more of like a feel guy. I, I think it has to be, you have to feel it. You got to know who you're playing against. You got to understand your team and all that stuff. I don't think a chart can tell you exactly that situation for every game. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Every game is different, you know, and, and again, me uh, kind of referencing the Super Bowl, like you're in a championship game. It's the most important game of the year. It's just win the game, you know, like yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Chasing points, I, I don't think yeah. that's a smart decision. Back at it with Coach Gies and Coach Joe Demore for the third quarter. So, Coach, uh, I, you know, up until 2019, till we got the COVID freeze, uh, I was coaching for the Winnipeg Rifles and the CJFL. Spent three years with with that program. Um, you've spent some time with the AKO Fratman. Uh, can you kind of talk about those experiences? Uh, obviously, Coach Lachance is still there as the head coach. Uh, coach Morenci is over there now. Uh, they actually flipped over to the St. Clair Fratman now. Okay. So they're running uh, basically through the college, uh, new facilities and stuff like that. Uh, you know, basically, it was a great opportunity for me. It was the first time I really got into coaching, uh, really understanding that preparing for games and and game planning and doing all that kind of stuff, a little more complex than high school, watching film with the kids and doing all that kind of stuff. Uh, they run an outstanding program. Coach Desantis has you know, been there so long and has done an amazing job. And, and a lot of the kids... You know, when I was at the university, we kind of built a relationship where, you know, kids that needed some development, we would send them over to the fragment for a couple of years and right. things like that. And, uh, you know, now, you know, they're getting and attracting kids, you know, from the college and they're actually getting kids nationally and stuff like that. Uh, you know, I think it's just going to get better and better there. Um, but to, to have, you know, a program like that in, in the city for kids that don't want to pursue, you know, university or, or things like that. And, and even guys in university that, you know, maybe aren't ready to, to play at that level, but can really contribute there. I think it's, it's a great thing for the city. Oh, I agree. I, I love the point about, you you know, working together in terms of the both programs. So uh, that's fantastic. Now um, you became the head coach at Windsor. Uh, and that was uh, in 2011. You ended up winning coach of the year that year. Uh, can you kind of specifically speak on that year? Yeah, obviously, you know, kind of mentioned about the process and and when they approached me about being the interim. So, you know, kind of when I took over, really, my philosophy was like, hey, this is a nine month job interview. You know, worst case scenario, let's just put things on the right path. You know, we were a two and six football team coming 
coming into the year, I, I assembled a staff I really liked. Uh, the kids bought in, you know, right away. And we had some talent on our football team. I still remember we we headed out to Saskatchewan and played an exhibition game against them. So that was the first time really our the University of Windsor has ever gone on, you know, a trip like that. So I had to, you know, my first ever head coaching experience was, you know, bringing 65 guys on a plane across the country uh, and managing that, uh, two flights and things like that. But, uh, yeah, when we got out there, we didn't really know what kind of football team we had. And, and at the time, Saskatchewan was, you know, I think ranked fifth in the country going into the season. And, you know, it was, uh, I think we were up 10 nothing at halftime or, or you know, it was 11-10 or something like that at halftime. And, you know, we ended up losing the game, I think, you know, by 14 or something like that. But it really gave our team a lot of confidence and like, hey, we can compete. Like Saskatchewan was a really strong program and, and things like that. So we went into our first game of the season, and I still remember this. It's it's kind of uh, funny that uh, I had a player, JPR, who was one of the best players uh, ended up playing the CFL for a little bit. Um, he kept bugging me about kickoff returns, super fast track guy. And I was like, no, nah, you know, Shay, you're not return kicks, da, da, da. And he kept bugging me, bugging him, like, fine. So my very first game ever, Toronto kicked off to us and Shay returned it, you know, 90-something yards for a touchdown uh, for my very opening uh, career as a football coach in youth sports. And then we got a two and out and they punted. And then we returned the punt for a touchdown. Wow. So that was really my very first game as a head coach. Um, so we won our first game. We go on the road to Laurier. And Laurier, we hadn't won since like 1974 in Laurier. And uh, we ended up winning that game on a rouge. Uh, a kick in, kick out. Uh, we trailed the entire game. Down seven, down 14, all the way around. And we finally tied the game. Um, they end up fumbling the ball uh, late in the game. And then we end up getting our quarterback, Austin, made this miraculous run. Got us into like field goal range, but being a coach and getting all excited, I'm like, oh, we're going to kick a single. When I lined up for the punt, I realized this is like a 60-yard punt. <laughs> you know, when it came down to it, you know, when he goes back 12 yards and stuff, and I'm like, I don't think, you know, he punts in, he ends up like two yards inside the back of the end zone. There you guy caught it. He kicked it back out. But then our punter caught it, and our punter happened to be left-footed okay. and was kind of moving already towards the left, so kind of caught it and then just kicked it on the run and kicked it out of the end zone, and we won. Oh, no wait. Uh, and that kind of, like, jump-started our, like, season because really winning against a really good Laurier football team. Um, we ended up going 5-3 and three that year, but two of our losses were only by a point. You know, Mac, by, who ended up winning the Benny Cup, with a two-point conversion attempt at the end of the game we didn't get to lose, and then... Um, we lost Ottawa on the last second field goal up in Ottawa. So, you know, we we are a competitive team. Sure. I think our biggest loss was to Queens by 10 points. Um, and really, we were simple. We were simple offensively. Defensively, we played base a lot and, and things like that. But our kids just played fast. They bought into what we wanted to do and things like that. And we ended up going on the road to Ottawa. And we had just played them two weeks before in Ottawa. And we lost by a single point. Uh, but we really felt like we could do some things. Like we had some Jordan Briskace and Evan Pashonic. All these guys ended up being all Canadians and obviously Austin. Uh, we ended up beating them by over 30. I think we scored 50. I remember going into that game saying, hey, if we don't score 50, I'm going to be mad. And I think we won 55, like 28 or something like that. Uh, we really, you know, played really well. And then we went on the road um, to Western the next week uh, in the semi. And I remember it was on the score and it's a beautiful day. And Probably one of my worst coaching decisions ever. You know, I made that. And, and you know, though I won coach of the year, uh, you know, there was a couple of chat line comments saying, like, they should take his coach of the year away. Uh, <laughs> after, 
we were going into the right before the half and we were down six at the time uh-huh. and we were playing a good football game and we were pretty much in field goal range, uh, just outside of field goal range. So we had practice. I was never bought into special team fakes, never in my life. And we had seen a fake and we're like, we can run this. And we were practicing it all week and it was working. It was a fake field goal. You botch it in the corner and somebody runs and gets it. So we're like, you know what? We're going to line up. We're going to do this. So we line up, and I'm thinking, worst case scenario, we do a crappy kick. We don't get it halftime. Well, what happens? Our kicker kicks it not even two feet off the ground, hits the DN. He drops in his hand, and he returns it all the way for a touchdown in no time. Oh, my gosh. So instead of being up six, I mean, down six, we were down 13. And I still remember, like, immediately after the half, the score was, like, right in my face going, "Uh, so what just happened there? (laughs) And then it was like, well, I made a really bad decision. So – one of those like moments where I was like, and then I think after four years, I didn't even run a fake at four years after that. Like it took me a long time before I was willing to run one, but we ended up losing the game by six. So that was like kind of one of those devastating things. But, uh, you know, we played really good football. Uh, I was lucky enough again, you know, to be named coach of the year in my interim year and be, being selected by my peers, um, really meant a lot to me. And, and obviously that situation, it was, it was hard for Windsor to go anywhere else. You know, me being an alumnus, winning coach of the year, you know, we are the first time winning a playoff game in over 10 years. Um, It was one of those situations that kind of like worked out for me. Um, Obviously got, you know, a contract extension, you know, a three-year contract extension. We ended up, you know, making the playoffs for three more years, which hadn't happened since the 70s, Um, you know, stuff like that. But you know what? And I'm honest, uh, when Austin left, uh, it was really hard. Like, you know, he ended up being, I think, one of the three quarterbacks in history to throw for 10,000 yards in youth sports. Um, he was super talented and had a lot of good players. But trying to find that next guy. And I spent a couple of years, we recruited one of the top players in the country and we ended up getting him. And I thought kind of we were sad, but things just didn't work out, you know, uh, for him. He ended up moving on. And then we had a couple stopgap guys and things like that. It just, it just didn't pan out. And then finally, you know, kind of the back end of my career there, you know, Sam Gerard, who's the quarterback now there, I was starting to come in, thought, you know, finally, I got a guy and we can win some games again. First game of the year against Waterloo, we put up 32 at the half. And then, you know, one play into the second half, he dislocates his throwing shoulder and he's out for the entire year. And, you know, we end up only winning. He ended up coming back the very last game of the year, and that's the game we won. Okay. You know what I mean? And and we ended up only winning one game. So that was tough. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, I learned a lot from the job. I loved every minute of it. Being an alumnus and being able to coach there, you know, at that level for eight years and stuff like that. But, yeah, and, you know, I learned a lot from it as far as, like, looking back and some of the decisions I made, you know, and stuff like that. and. You know, in retrospect, I probably, you know, should have ran the offense, you know, most of my career there. Uh, early on, uh, you know, Coach Dan did an outstanding job for me. And, you know, then when Austin left, I brought in a couple other guys. And, you know, and they all they all did good jobs. But, you know, for me, when I look at it, you know, I kind of had that analogy. If the ship's going down, you want to be the one driving. You know, we, we went four straight years winning, you know, a total of maybe six games. And, you know, I just... I took just less of a less of a role every year. And, you know, at one point I ended up coaching the running backs because I just, I couldn't stand around anymore doing nothing. Like I would stand in the middle of the field, blowing the whistle in between sessions. And I'm just like, yeah, this is not really what I'm looking for. Um, In retrospect, maybe I should have just stayed more involved with the offense and stuff like that. But, you know, 
I surrounded myself. I tried to surround myself early on in my career. We only, I was the only head coach in, in the country that only had one coach, full-time coach. Uh, I was able to get a new one down the road. And then, you know, now they have two full-timers. So that process has changed a little bit, which is good. You know, the back end of my career, I was able to get two full-time coaches to assist and stuff like that. But uh, again, uh, it was a great experience. Uh, I think there's a lot of guys out there that could probably do a good job. Uh, it's just hard to get chances. There's only 27 jobs in the whole country. Right. Um, not a lot of opportunities and things like that. Uh, and I think the one thing I got out of it the most was just obviously the players, but at the same time, the, the colleagues, the guys around the league, relationships, like guys, I, even though I'm not coaching new sports, I still talk to on a daily basis and, and connect with and have relationship with, and even coach Dovey, you know, was a, a great mentor to me. I still remember, uh, when I, once I got the job offer for the interim job, I had no idea financially, like what a coach was supposed to make. And right. I like calling Dobie going, Dobie, like, what should I ask for? Like, <laughs> like I don't even know what to do. You know? And obviously Dobie gave some advice and we were right around, you know, what we talked about and stuff like that. But, you know, it was just one of those situations that um, I walked in there um, and I didn't really have a lot of experience and nobody really knew me at the at the youth sports level these right. coaches and i remember going to east west when i just got the job and nobody knew who i was i was a high school coach and you know most coaches kind of come from being a coordinator or doing that so they embraced me and they you know kind of welcomed me into the into the group and uh yeah i built some really good relationships over the eight years and stuff like that well coach when you're talking about the connections and, and whatnot and, and making uh you know friends along the way and different colleagues uh you know a mutual friend of ours reached out to me last night coach chris boshan who's actually going to be on the podcast in the very near future just uh kind of telling me of what a good guy you were he uh, was able to coach with you on team canada so real quickly i'm just interested in that experience in talk you know when you coach team canada as the oc uh what was that like yeah you know i got a chance to meet Chris in, in the international bowl and we got a couple opportunities to work there. Uh, but then I ended up coaching with the junior national team. We went to China for the world championship. That situation alone was, you know, just an experience for me. It was one of the best experiences I ever had. We spent 22 days in China. Um, what I really learned from that experience was that, you know, the ability to adapt quickly, um, sudden change. We kind of use that analogy, sudden change. Warren Craney was the head coach. And, uh, you know, we had, two day flip overs. We play a game and then three days later we had another game and, you know, to prepare for teams that you don't know anything about, um, to get your bodies ready and to, to get schemes ready, you know, and stuff like that was a really challenge. And, you know, we were up, you know, 16, 17 hours every day and, you know, it was work, but, um, you know, the experience of playing the U S in the, in the early round and, and getting beat pretty easily, uh, and then meeting them in the final and, and winning that game. And, you know, quickly we talked about, you know, the, the pleasure of being an OC and calling a play that worked, designing two plays in the for the championship game because uh, the U.S. played strictly man and we were able to isolate one of our wideouts at tailback and try to get him on a linebacker. And we we scored two those both plays. We scored touchdowns, both eighty yard touchdowns, wow. two consecutive plays. We actually scored three consecutive touchdowns on three consecutive plays. Oh we ended up winning 20, 24 to three or twenty four to six, uh-huh. but three touchdowns came. Two plays before the second half, first half was done, and then the first play of the second half, we scored three consecutive plays, all sixty yards or more, and we end up winning the game. Uh, and and uh, it was one of those experiences, like, yeah, if we get this look, we're going to score a touchdown. We're going, and then just like you mentioned before, I'm on the sidelines. We get the look. I'm like, this is going to be a touchdown. <laughs> sure enough, 
long as we blocked it up, we blocked it up. We threw an 80-yard bomb, and it was like, yes. And, you know, we ended up winning that game. And to beat the U.S., obviously, what a great experience. And Team Canada has done it now. You know, the last couple, you know, the last world championship, they won it again, uh, which Coach Tamara and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, one of my favorite experiences, uh, super close relationship with those guys, staying three weeks in China together, you become really close um, and uh, stuff like that. And when, you know, change that experience for the world and uh i'm hoping we're hoping to have a reunion one day 10 years from now uh all of us together again uh somewhere all right back at it for the fourth quarter with coach geese and coach joe Moore. so coach I've, I've taken a new uh coaching job i'm going to be the offensive coordinator quarterback coach at oak park high school my alma mater and uh you know, you spent some time obviously being a, a youth sports head coach and also a high school head coach. So I'm kind of interested in the difference in between those two. Uh, you know, can you kind of speak on that? How are they different? How are they similar? Well, I think obviously the big difference is the amount of time you spend with the kids. I think at the youth sports level, you pretty much have them, you know, all the time, um, you know, after classes and during the day and then long practices at night. Whereas, you know, the high school coaches, you know, ultimately you get them for an hour and a half or two hours after school right. and stuff like that. But I think the biggest, you know, difference is just your responsibilities for each, you know, as a high school head coach, you know, obviously responsible for your kid, but sometimes if you don't work at the school, you don't understand academically where they're at, if they're getting in troubles at school and all that kind of stuff. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, though you control a little bit of, you know, the equipment and all that kind of stuff, travels all run through the schools and things like that. Whereas university, like you're pretty much wear a ton of hats. You're pretty much responsible for all their academics, making sure that they're staying on task and they're eligible. You're responsible to fundraise, you're responsible to do all kinds of things. And, and that's really where, you know, the big difference is there's just so much more to do at the youth sports level mm -hmm. um, and responsibilities. Whereas the high school, you're kind of there to coach, for those couple hours and things like that. Uh, some of the similarities, obviously you're still trying to win football games. And, you know, one of the challenge maybe at high school is a numbers. You don't always have the numbers to, to practice and you don't always, obviously you might have four or five kids that have high skill level. And then you have some kids that want to play and want to learn. Whereas you sports, normally you, you're surrounded by kids that, you know, have been playing for a long time. So, you know, I think that's one of the major differences um, and stuff, but, being a head coach and your as far as like how you react to the kids or how you coach them or how you, you know, teach technique. I think that's all the same when it comes to football. I think you've got to approach it, whether you're coaching young kids or older kids, uh, their approach has got to be pretty similar uh, when it comes to developing uh, football players. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think as much as there's a, there's a big difference between the two, there's more similarities than there are differences, right? At the end of the day. So you know, yeah. I, I agree with you on that. Now, Coach, uh, you know, in the NFL, there's a lot going on right now. Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson apparently are both kind of requesting to uh, to be moved. Uh, I'm kind of interested on in your thoughts about that. Do you think Do you think either of them will get traded? A couple things. I'm kind of like, it's tough to make that decision because you see both sides of it. Obviously, as an organization, you see, hey, a guy signs a contract. You should honor that. But then on the yeah. same side, you see – uh, teams and organizations every day getting rid of people. Mm -hmm. You know, I just saw like Ben Noy yeah. from Dolphins signs a four-year deal. He's gone after one year yeah. um, and things like that. So, you know, you see their side. Uh, I think the quarterback position is like the face of the franchise in the NFL. And I think they should be involved. And I think a lot more guys now are starting to say like, hey, like, 
you know, you want us to be the franchise, you want us to carry the team, but you don't want me to be involved in any decision making. And, you know, Deshaun wanted to be involved in the new head coach and they pretty much shunned him out. And Russell Wilson, you know, from what you read is wanted to be, you know, involved in the OC and wanted to give input on play calling and was kind of shunned out. And that's tough if you start alienating those guys and there are, out of the 32 teams, there's probably 10 elite quarterbacks in the NFL. And yeah, if those two are both, I think, one of them, <laughs> you know, those two guys. And it's like, you start alienating those guys, then I don't know where you're going because you're not going to get better from, from moving on from those guys. But sometimes I think in the NFL, guys are learning that they have a, they have a voice and they can make moves. And some guys have done that now in the league where they've kind of pushed themselves into a position where they've forced trades and they've gotten them. And, and I think teams or players are starting to see that, Hey, if I have the ability and I have the power, then I can control this situation. And, you know, good on them. The NFL career will last for so long and you want to surround yourself with people that want you there and want to be involved. So, Hey, I don't blame them. Uh, do I think they're both going to get moved this year? I don't know. Like I don't see Russell getting moved, but right now I just read an article saying that, yeah, they're open to it now. Yeah. You know, made a trade. So, you never know in the NFL, True. you know what I mean? But, you know, some of the – I couldn't even imagine what those guys would go for. You know what I mean? Yeah. Unless they traded for each other, I couldn't imagine, like, you know, Stafford being from Windsor and Detroit, like Stafford getting two first-rounders. Like, they're talking, like, four players plus round three round first-round yeah. picks for Deshaun. It's like, you're going to – and they're saying right now the Bears are willing to sell, like, their whole draft to get Deshaun, like actually give up their entire draft. Like wow. that's insane to me. That I don't insane. know, but Hey, you got, we talk bad. about it. This is a quarterback podcast. Like yeah. it starts with him. So get <laughs> that guy, you'll figure out the rest. Well, and both those guys are not, you know, arrogant, <laughs> cocky kind of guys. Right. So I think it, I would initially look at it like, you know, especially in Deshaun Watson's scenario where he literally just signed this past year. And then he wants out, right? And it's kind of like, well, come on, man. He did sign a contract. But I think what you said in terms of, like, the character of those guys and, and the guys, like, both Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson are not me guys. So there's there's no, clearly issues there in their organizations. Um, yeah, for sure. I got a chance to meet uh, Russell Wilson. Uh, their training camp with Luke was there. Wow. Uh, one of their uh, OTAs. And, yeah, like, good man. Like, And you could just see how he – how he uh, presented himself and uh, held himself like at the practice. And yeah, he's a respected guy in the league and, mm-hmm. and a talented guy. And uh, yeah, when he speaks, you know, people in the organization should listen, but uh, you know, they obviously did not And now it's at a point where we may see him wearing some other uniform extra. Yeah. Be interesting. That's for sure. Okay. Coach, well, we're coming to the end of the podcast. Uh, I want to ask you here, who is your favorite offensive coordinator of all time and why? You know, for me, I, there's it's more of like not favorite, but like people I like enjoy watching. You know, Kyle Shanahan. Um, you know, even like this year, like watching Alabama's offense, uh, Sarkeesian. Uh, I just I like innovative offenses, guys that you know really kind of take advantage of some of the things they do. Uh, the Rams, obviously, you know how they make everything look the same. You know, to their run, to their play action. Uh, you know, it's really like simple in you look at some of the NFL concepts, they're so simple, but it's, it's really about being precise and, and spacing and depth and all that kind of stuff. And, and those are the kind of guys I've kind of, you know, looked at, but even in the youth sports, there, there are a lot of good offensive minds out there, guys that, you know, even like that come up kind of behind me, you mm-hmm. know, when I was a head coach, you know, I think 
Coach Bertoia does an outstanding job at Waterloo offensively. Obviously, Greg Marshall, you know, has done an amazing job at Western yeah. in systems and stuff like that. Ryan uh, Sheehan out here, you know, and, and uh, before he went to Guelph at Calgary. You know, those kind of guys, like, I like watching you sports and some of their, you know, you know, ideas and how they yeah. present things. And that's really where I got, you know, most of my stuff from are people that are at the youth sports level as opposed to, you know, the NFL and, and, and you know, American college and stuff like that. That's really where you kind of find things that you like and, and, and kind of merge them into what you feel fits your ideas and your philosophies. No, oh, I love that. I love that you connected the Canadian game, right? I think most people ask that question, they would, automatically say some NFL coordinator, Andy Reid or somebody, yeah. you know, somebody like that. Yeah. But, but, but you're right. I mean, being a Canadian coach running offense here in Canada to, uh, to look at the high level teams and coordinators, I think that's excellent. Well, coach, it's been a fantastic time talking football with you, getting to know you. Uh, I want to thank coach Jeff Stead for connecting us. So thank you, Stedder. Uh, you know, you talked about the football community before, but it's so true. We all make connections through people and, and get to learn and grow and, and having you on the on this podcast has been fantastic uh, i hope you enjoyed your time oh yeah absolutely i appreciate you reaching out to me and uh yeah to coach stead uh you know when he called me and asked me uh i was like yeah for sure uh, i love this stuff and i love talking football and uh i appreciate you letting me uh kind of share my experiences here over the last couple hours oh it's been awesome and i'm, I'm sure my audience got a lot of great content from it so uh, i appreciate you being on and uh coach awesome. we will talk next time and i appreciate it